0: Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. In a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many of you will remember that at the advent of email, people sent you every joke they could find in email and expected you to open it and reply back. Remember that? How horrible that was? Some of you don't remember that? It's okay. I'm getting used to being peculiar in the way I am. That's all right. But some of you remember, and some of you likely got a joke about what would have been like if the three wise men had actually been three wise women. Y'all remember that joke? Yeah, you do. They would have brought casseroles, they would have asked for directions. But I just want to note that these guys, they didn't stop and ask for directions. So, I mean, that's a little off. And then there's something else, and some other thing they would have done. And then somebody says they would have brought practical gifts. Y'all remember that joke? It was never really funny. But Samantha sent me that joke one time in my email, and I think she thought I would think it was funny, and I sent back to her, but where are you going to find three wise women? It was not my smartest move ever. (laughs) But we make jokes about this story because it's so familiar to us that it's easy just to miss what in the world is going on with this thing. I mean, it wasn't really wise men. They were magi. They were possibly... Zoroastrian astrologers. They could have been princes. They were something significant that the, the Bible calls Magoi in the Greek. Wasn't three of them. There were three gifts. We don't know how many of them there were, but people were drawn. That's what's important. People were drawn and brought. And Isaiah prophesied about this. He said, the time will come when a lighter will arise in Jerusalem." and people will be drawn to you. There will be a light amongst the darkness of the nations, the glory of the Lord rising upon Israel. And Christians have interpreted this as the coming of the God-man, that Jesus Christ, light incarnate, the light of the world. Remember that when he said about himself, I am the light of the world. Remember in your Bibles at the beginning where it says that everything began by God saying, let there be light. Remember that? That God spoke and it was. Isaiah is recalling that kind of energy. Somehow there's a dynamism that will rise in Israel that's the result of God speaking something new into power. And light coming again because, he says, the people have been under darkness. And Christians have interpreted that to be the darkness of slavery to sin and death. The darkness of rebellion against God. The darkness of not being who we're created to be. Have you ever sat around and wondered what what your purpose is? Have you ever felt adrift? Have you ever felt like you had a dark cloud over your head following you around? Chances are all of those times when it happened were times when you knew in and of yourself that you weren't as close to Christ as you wanted to be right then. And sin had crept into your heart, stolen your imagination, and attempted to reshackle you to itself. To grab you and hold you. Jesus comes as a light in a world of darkness. In a world succumbed to the darkness of death. A world threatened by death. To a people under scarcity. To a people under threat of the nations around them. To a people who have seemingly lost their hope. Isaiah said, a light will come. And we Christians say that light's name is Jesus. Jesus. That he has come. And we believe that the coming of these Magoi, the Magi, the wise men, wise women, whichever you prefer, that the coming of these people is a sign to us that this light has indeed been born. Because they come, they come from the east bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They come giving gifts worthy of a Messiah who's a prophet, a priest, and a king. But that's not really what I want to focus on today. What I want us to wonder about is why in the world is this the last time three men were invited to a baby shower? (laughs) What was the role that they were playing? What was the role that they were playing? Very often when we read the Scriptures, we find ourselves reading the stories and imagining as if we were part of the story, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever read where Paul talks about having that thorn in his flesh and thought about that thing that plagued you? That person you can't forgive. That thing you did that you can't forgive yourself for. That thing that creeps into your imagination and your loneliness and your boredom. And you've identified with Paul and his struggle. We read Scripture rightly when we try to read it as if to understand what it says to us and how it invites us into its story because dear ones, the stories or Scripture are your stories. This epiphany moment, this revealing the coming of revelation, this moment, epiphany, is an appearance or manifestation of a divine being or a moment in which you suddenly see or understand something in a new or clear way. Some will say, I had epiphany. I should have bought a blue car. Something appears to you. Something comes to your mind in a clear way all of a sudden that startles you. That's what's happening here that these people have been shook to their core by the reality that the light has come. They've seen His star and it's rising. A new star has appeared. New creation has been spoken into the world. Something has happened. And so they get on their camels or whatever they rode and they head out and they're on the way. What role are they playing? I think they're playing the role of confirming for us that what is happening is something done by God. Back in that day, the appearance of a new star was thought to mean that something divine had happened. Some magisterial leader had been born. Something significant that would affect the rest of the world had happened. And that's why they're showing up. They're playing a role. So in your imagination, when you hear that story read... Which role do you see yourself playing? Do you imagine yourself on a camel, bringing a casserole, fishing rod, baby rattle? For Mary's sake, don't bring a drum and start playing it, like that little drummer boy. How do you imagine yourself in this story? I want to encourage you, first of all, don't be a Herod. Don't be afraid to lose. Don't view the Christ child in that manger at Christmas. Know that he's a king. Know that he desires that we come and offer everything we have to him. Know that his purpose is to come and save us and draw us to the cross. Know that his message is to draw us to our own cross, to give ourselves for the rest of the world so that the world can know that the light has come. Don't see the whole story of Jesus and be like Herod and say, no, I will keep my kingdom. Do you hear me, church? Very often when we think about Scripture, we want to read it as individuals. What does it mean for me personally? But I want to talk about the church's role here. And it's easy for us to hear Jesus as a threat to our personal security. Because Jesus would rather that we gave everything we had to the poor than make sure we had a giant house when we retired. That's offensive, isn't it? But I'm pretty sure it's true. Jesus would rather that we served others than served ourselves. I don't know if Harry could have possibly known that about him. But what Herod knew about that child was that he was a threat to his rule. Because Rome had propped Herod up. He wasn't born a king of the Jews. But oh, they said, we've come to see the one born king of the Jews. The one who has the right to the throne. What if somebody walked into your office and said, hey, we've come to see that guy that's going to take your job. How would you feel? Would you not immediately feel a sense of loss and a threat? Would you not think to yourself, no, I must preserve my kingdom. Don't be a Herod. Whatever you do, in your thoughts, in your own person now, decide that when this Christ demands of you, even your very life, you will give it. Don't be afraid of what you will lose for him. Keep your thoughts on what he has given you. You Got wise men. We've talked about them a little bit. What role are they playing? Hey, they're coming to affirm things, right? And people will put on their church signs. Wise men still follow him. Y'all ever seen that? My favorite church sign is stop, drop, and roll, won't work in hell. Y'all ever seen that one? It's pretty funny. I think it's good. It's memorable. It's catchy, right? Wise men still seek Him is true. You could read this today. and You could say, I'm going to choose the wise way and seek Jesus no matter what. I mean, listen, these people got on their little camels and rode across the desert. Wasn't an easy trip. Some people say you don't actually ride camels the way they do today. Back then they put all the stuff on the camel and they might have walked. That makes it even more vibrant, doesn't it? The thought that these people could have been royal people or people who were like well-situated in their community, that they could have been priests, people who were viewed as high up in the world, that they came to some little agrarian community named Israel to worship the king of a nation that had been repeatedly conquered over and over and over just to me strikes me as amazing. And so you could put yourself in that role, and you could think of yourself as a person who's going to choose the wise way of coming and laying laying yourself and what you have at his feet. And that would be a great choice for you to make. That truly is part of what this story is telling us, that somehow we come to realize that this baby laying in a wooden crib, or some of the mangers were actually hollowed out stone. But this baby laying in the feeding trough in this peasant village in some backwater town in the middle of a place that was only significant because you could grow stuff there and it was against the sea. That this baby is somehow the son of God, some divine birth, some eternal king come to lift up the people out of darkness and choose to come and worship Him and pay homage to Him, and you, dear ones, would be doing the very right thing. But like I said a moment ago, what I'd like for us to think about today is our role together as the church. What the wise men did is a very individual thing. But we, the church, are called to do something as well. And I guess we could say, hey, We'll be like a group of wise men following the star through the world. But what if we decided to be the star? What if we took a moment and considered the possibility that the church's role might be to signal to the world that the Son of God has been born? That this story is a reality? That this thing truly happened? What if our purpose is to shine so brightly in the darkness that people from around the world are drawn to the manger? Do you see that? I think that's a pretty cool thought. What if our purpose is to be so transformed by the risen Christ that people look at us and believe that Jesus came into the world? When they see how we love one another, he said, they will know that you are my disciples. Oh, dear ones. There's all kinds of love in the world, but the thing that there's a shortage of is the love that serves the other. Right now, we're doing love of money, love of self, love of cars, love of houses, love of stuff, love of fishing, love of Chinese junk that you get at Walmart but there's not a whole heck of a lot of love of others going on in the world. What if we allowed ourselves to be so radically transformed by the love of Christ, by what Christ did for us, that we would take up our own cross, choose to die to self and be put to work for him, loving those that no one else will love as a sign of the reality that Jesus has come. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? We already do some of that. We've talked about a way that we've raised money here. What I didn't say is that almost $7,000 has been given to help people in our community. This week, a church in another town, a very small church that didn't have the money to repair their roof correctly, Their roof was taken off down to the plywood. And the plywood was repaired. A new slope was put in where there was a leaking problem. New shingles were put on that church. And this morning, that congregation is showing up to a church that probably won't leak for 20 years. Because you gave to Christ. Christ. Those are three ways off the top of my head. You sent 100 meals to inmates at Lee Correction Center for Christmas. You sent 120, how many was it, Carolyn? 122? 143 boxes around the world to children so that they would know that someone actually cares about them. You sent $3,000 to a children's home You've been praying for someone who's waiting to find out if they have cancer. Do you see the glory of God in that? I hope you do. I hope you see God at work in your life together. Because dear ones, that makes you something that people can follow to Christ. If the world looks at us and we just look like the rest of the world, how can they possibly believe what we say about Jesus? But dear ones, if we allow Christ to work in us so that we are radically different than the world, so that we put others first and we seek the good of others first, so that we give and give and give and help and serve, don't you want to be that kind of church? To be that kind of star in the world? That this community would see you at your rising and know that a king has been born? Man, what a thing that would be. For people to say, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, but there's something different about those people. That, dear ones, is the heart of evangelism. That is when someone arrives at the precipice of having their life changed and saved. When they look at us and see the brightness of a star rising in the darkness of sin and death, my prayer is that this year, we will commit to being that people. A people who reflect the glory of God in the world. And I bring you an instrument today. A prayer. It has some aspects of words of Wesley in it, but it's called a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. And I'm inviting you to think of yourselves together as reflecting the light of Christ in the world. And we pray this prayer together as a way of giving ourselves to Jesus so that He can light us a fire. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, but Thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it, and the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.